Welcome to the ever-evolving melodrama of progesterone in high-risk obstetrics. Yeah, it's kind of like a soap opera, isn't it? I mean, it's like, as sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Y'all don't have any idea what I'm talking about, do you? If you're too young, you have no idea what that is. It was a soap opera. It may still be running. I have no idea. Is that thing still on? The Days of Our Lives was a super melodramatic soap opera, super popular. It would come out at midday. I'd go home for lunch from elementary school. Uh, and I was raised by my elderly aunt and uncle. And I was not permitted to talk during the noon hour because Days of Our Lives was on. Uh, super melodramatic. But we have that kind of melodrama in real life, right? I mean... No, not in our personal lives, <laughs> but in our professional lives. I mean, look at progesterone. Oh my gosh, progesterone is out. It's going to save us from the villain of preterm birth. And then, oh my gosh, progesterone doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. Oh my gosh, now progesterone is off the market. Yep, kind of like a melodrama in real life. In this episode, I want to touch on this, but not so much on the progesterone itself, because I think we're already getting progesterone burnout on this. Uh, and we already know this story, right? I am 17-hydroxyprogesterone in branded or generic form is now Exnade with an immediate uh, cease and uh, assist. It's no more. Don't, don't keep using it. Just stop it immediately. It's no help. That's the ruling from the FDA, ACOG support set, and SMFM. And then progesterone is now questionable as well because progesterone may have value with a short cervix only, okay? So not without a short cervix, but if there is a short cervix under 25 millimeters, then vaginal progesterone may have a role. But this episode, I want to focus on something else that's left out of this discussion, which is cerclage. So this is in direct response to somebody who sent me a Facebook message, somebody from our podcast family and said, I get 17 hydroxyprogesterone. Uh, it's gone. I don't like that it's gone, but it is. I get the restriction on vaginal progesterone. I get that short cervix. Where's cerclage in all this? Well, there's an answer to that because cerclage is still a thing, but that is also a bit, just a tad different. Okay, the recommendation is still there, but it's a tad different. So in this episode, I want to cover the SMFM special statement response that just came out today on April the 13th, 2023, talking about cerclage. Is that still a thing? And how that actually got twisted, just changed, just tweaked just a little bit in light of this new progesterone info. Ready? Let's cover cerclage, progesterone, and preterm birth, BTB, right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Like sand through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Oh, that was so tacky. Okay, I just couldn't help it. I couldn't resist. You see, this is why it's super important just to know the data and what it is at a point in time, because you can always reference it when it changes down the road. Uh, in other words, you got to know the history to appreciate where you are. If you look back to February of 2014, 
ACOG released Practice Bulletin 142, which is surclage for the management of cervical insufficiency. Now, we're not talking about cervical incompetence in this episode, but in this practice bulletin, again, number 142, it does go over the general indications for surclage, all right, not just for cervical insufficiency. Because one of the indications, even in the previous bulletin from the college on prevention of preterm birth, uh, surclage is in there, all right? So let's start here from the historic standpoint, and then we're going to get into the new special statement from SMFM, and you'll see how this has been tweaked just a little bit. Back in that practice bulletin of 142, and also in the separate practice bulletin that was the prevention of preterm birth one in the past, uh, there was the surclage being referenced when there was ultrasonographic findings in a patient with a history of a previous preterm birth. That's a lot of words in there, but it makes sense, right? History of previous preterm birth, singleton pregnancy, and then they do a sono for cervical length, and it is under 25 millimeters. The recommendation was, quote, in a current singleton pregnancy with a prior spontaneous preterm birth at less than 34 weeks, who has a short cervical length less than 25 millimeters before 24 weeks of gestation, then consideration of a surclage could be done. All right, so everybody good? So short cervix, history of preterm labor, uh, then go ahead and do a surclage. Fine. Now, remember, in the then-existing bulletin on prevention of preterm birth, uh, ACOG assumed that 17-hydroxyprogesterone was already being implemented, right? That's when it was a thing. So you identify a patient, she has a history of preterm birth, uh, she's on 17-hydroxyprogesterone, and then is found to have a cervix less than 25 millimeters, then surclage could be offered. All right, so that was the history. Everybody good? So surclage existed when a patient already was on 17-hydroxyprogesterone systemically uh, and then had the incidental finding on ultrasound of the short cervix, less than 25 millimeters, then surclage could be offered, and that's ultrasonographic criteria for surclage placement. But in SMFM's special statement that, again, was released today on April the 13th, 2023, there is a portion of that that addresses surclage. And yes, it's clear there is some data, it's evidence-based to offer surclage in patients with a previous history of preterm birth with a short cervix. Uh, it's not so clear anymore. And let me explain. The SMFM states, while the data are consistent regarding the benefit of surclage in the setting of a short cervix among patients who have a history of a previous preterm birth, there's a lack of data directly comparing surclage to vaginal progesterone. And there's also a lack of data as to whether there's a beneficial effect of adding progesterone with a surclage. In other words, we have no data if the two things together are an additive protection. A meta-analysis that included randomized trials of vaginal progesterone versus placebo and randomized trials of surclage versus no surclage in patients with a prior preterm birth who also had a short cervix found a similar magnitude of a reduction in preterm birth under 35 weeks. Does that make sense? In other words, whether they had a surclage or vaginal progesterone, they both had similar reductions in the rates of preterm birth. Those relative risks were about 0.68 for surclage and a relative risk of around 0.7 with vaginal progesterone. Those are pretty comparable. 
So, SMFM states, quote, based on the currently available evidence, it's reasonable to offer either cerclage or vaginal progesterone to patients who have a history of preterm birth and who are diagnosed with a short cervix prior to 24 weeks of gestation. For patients who receive a cerclage, the benefits of adding vaginal progesterone to the treatment regimen is unknown. Ah, did y'all catch that? See, that's the change. So before, it was like, hey, you're already on progesterone. Your cervix now gets kind of short. Now go ahead and offer a cerclage if, if that's part of shared decision-making. But now, do you see how it's changed? Cerclage is still on the table. However, now it's either or. Because remember, now nobody gets progesterone. They have to declare themselves with a short cervix for vaginal uh, progesterone to be offered that as, as a candidate of therapy. Uh, but now it's, hey, you have a history of preterm birth. Uh, your cervix is, is at 25 millimeters or less. So here's two things you could get. You could get a cerclage, which is obviously invasive, uh, or you could try vaginal progesterone. Does that make sense? So cerclage is still on the table as an option uh, for those with a history of preterm birth, singleton pregnancy, and a short cervix. That's 25 millimeters or under. Uh, but now it's not just like that's cerclage and that's it. It's cerclage or vaginal progesterone. And there really doesn't seem to be any benefit uh, doing the two together. And here's an important clinical pearl as we get ready to wrap up this short episode. Remember that for the patient who's had a cerclage or who now gets vaginal progesterone, SMFM reminds us, quote, the value of continued cervical length surveillance is unproven and the benefits of cerclage placement if further cervical shortening occurs is also unclear. Wow, does that make sense? So look, you're gonna do vaginal progesterone fine, stop looking for cervical lengths because they're already on therapy. So it's one or the other, okay? So short cervix, you're on vaginal progesterone, stop looking. We'll just deal with it. If, if you go into preterm labor, we'll deal with that. Stop checking for cervical length. That's a big deal because adding cerclage with further cervical shortening is unclear. And the reverse is also true. If they opt for the cerclage, why are you looking for cervical shortening anyway? You're not going to add anything else and they already have treatment. So once you make a plan, they're either on vaginal progesterone or they have a cerclage, stop looking at cervical length. They're all treated clinically. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. As always, we're glad that you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.